Method to the Madness is next. You're listening to Method to the Madness, a public affairs show on KALX Berkeley featuring innovators of the Bay Area. I'm your host, Lisa Kiefer, and today I'm speaking with Sarah Dvorak and Eric Miller, two of three co-founders of Makers Common, an eatery and market that opened this summer at 1954 University Avenue right here in Berkeley, focusing on local producers. Makers Common is connecting food with community. Welcome to the program, Sarah Dvorak and Eric Miller, two of the three founders of a newly opened Makers Common on University Avenue here in Berkeley. So you founded Mission Cheese in 2011, and it's wildly popular. What made you want to start something over here in Berkeley? You know, after six years of operating in San Francisco in a in a pretty small 650-square-foot space, I think, you know, we all were a little bit itching to do something new for several reasons. One was really to have more impact in the industry. There's only so much cheese a small shop can buy and wine and beer. And also, it was, we were really limited on what we could provide in terms of a culinary experience just because we have an oven and a sandwich press, you know? So it's not a full kitchen, um, not a lot of space. So it's kind of your customer demand, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, sort of, and also our sort of creative energy. And then also... Mission Cheese is technically a single-member LLC. That is my sole responsibility, <laughs> for better or worse. And we wanted to like bring more people in the fold. Eric had been our manager for three years there, and so we really wanted to work on a project together, like officially. So why Berkeley? I'm just curious about the different environments. I know San Francisco is a completely <laughs> different environment than Berkeley. Yeah. Definitely a lot of different reasons for that. Um, you know, we, we did initially scour San Francisco to find a place, and it was just really difficult. It's just getting so expensive. It's you know, getting expensive here, too. Uh, yeah, but I think, you know, I think we'll, we'll probably see that ramping up over the next couple of years. But I think... So good the, timing. Yeah, you know, timing <laughs> is, is definitely... Crossed. Exactly. Um, but, you know, we, we dealt with some LOIs, and we were in lease negotiations on a couple of places in San Francisco, and it all kind of fell apart at some point. And whether it was difficult owners or, you know, leasing agents and things like that, it was just overly complicated. So we decided to look, do a little you know, dabble with some searches in East Bay and so, you know, Oakland. and. and How did you find that great space? And it's in a great location by the UC (laughs) Theater. That area is really popping and it's just going to get better and better. And your space is beautiful. Thank you. We appreciate that. Did you have to build that out? It was was a total shell that we found of all places on Craigslist. (laughs) No way. (laughs) Not even (laughs) joking. Just started doing searches in various locations and um, we saw that. And one of the when we put together a list of what's our ideal space and what does it look like, it was something that wasn't part of new construction, sort of formula retail, ground floor, where everything looks the same and kind of cookie cutter, something that had a little bit of its own personality. And this kind of had it uh, for sure in in loads. Um, you know, there's not a square corner in the entire space. The floors aren't level. You know, it's it's a wonky space that we're able to turn into something really beautiful. Yes, there's so much light. Yeah, and I light love the garden area the out back. Area. It just really felt like, you know, all the spaces that we were looking at in San Francisco were like, oh, we could make this work. We could tweak it here and like sort of figure it out. But when we walked into this space, it just felt right for our concept. You know, there was a small little nook for the market to the left and felt organized correctly and then the outdoor space just felt amazing the owners and landlord just felt really welcoming and like wanted us there so you know whenever you're opening a business it feels good every, People every want city there. has a different personality yeah, too yeah. 
for yes. sure. So and San Francisco right now is just like I feel like just trying to get every last bit they can from people that are leasing things before things turn or I don't know what it is, but you know, we got you're up against like urgent care facilities and people willing to spend ten plus dollars a square foot and like as a small food business that's dedicated to really amazing <laughs> ingredients, like you're not <laughs> That's not where you want to put your money. Yeah, you're not gonna make it, you know. Yeah. Just, the numbers don't crunch. Well so. you mentioned your concept and just for our listeners who don't know <laughs> about Mission Cheese in San Francisco and your new place, Makers Common. Tell us about your concept. What is it? Well, I mean, Makers Common is, like, as simply put as I can possibly do, is a market and eatery. The market is, you know, highly curated, all domestic products, um, cut-to-order cheese and charcuterie counter, and really focusing on people making really soulful products. And sort of doing what Mission Cheese did for the cheese part of our business in that we're, you know, sharing stories and getting, like, lesser-known, smaller-production American cheeses into people's mouths. We, we want So you're still focusing cheese. just on American cheeses. Correct. We have one Italian guest, Parmigiano-Reggiano, but everything else is fully American. So Well, you have a, a really pretty deep background in cheese, I understand. Well, I so mean... <laughs> how did you get into cheese? After moving to the Bay Area... And working in corporate retail for a few years, I was really drawn to the food world. And I almost went to culinary school. I worked in a kitchen on my pursuit to going to culinary school. And, you know, in learning that I did not want to be a chef, I learned that I really loved and was fascinated with fermentation and cheese. And, you know, how you start with one simple ingredient and it morphs into this these, you know, amazing characters that have varying flavors. Does every state in the United States make cheese? Probably. I I know that I've had some cheese from Hawaii, yeah. some goat cheese from Hawaii that was quite delicious. Yeah, I, I don't think... know that I've had anything from Alaska. Wouldn't that be an interesting but I'm imagine sure that exploration? I'm sure someone's making cheese up there. I mean, there's there's definitely cheese being made most places now. I mean, it's whether it's, you know, produced at a level that can make it outside of the community. Like, there are a lot of hobby cheesemakers who, you know, just make it, yeah. you know, one wheel a a day or even one wheel every two days and then they sell it locally at a market or just give it to their friends. But um yeah, I think So how do you find out about cheese. the great cheeses, let's say <laughs> locally or not locally? Well do they contact you or sometimes you get some of the outreach but social um, media is yeah, I mean, I follow a lot of other cheese shops uh, around the country on Instagram, and then they're taking photos of awesome cheese that they're finding. Um, and I'm like, ooh, who's that producer? I don't know them. Like, and then we can see if we can get our hands on some of that if they're being oh, distributed really out here. That's interesting. Yeah. So it, that really does help quite a bit. It's a game changer. Although before <laughs> that, it was like Culture Magazine, and every year there is an American Cheese Conference that happens, and it bounces around in different locations. There are, I think now, somewhere around 1,500 cheeses that are entered in that competition every year. So if you go to that conference, you have the capability of trying 1,500 different American wow. cheeses in, in a short three-day span. So yeah. you find a lot of things there as well and make a lot of relationships and connections. And do you make cheese? I do not. Do you have your own signature cheeses? We don't make cheese. Okay. Um, we don't do any on-site. There's occasional, you know, maybe like a ricotta-like cheese that will occasionally show up based on that's kind of from some other projects that may be happening. But, you know, the flip side of that is we are making charcuterie. So we are fermenting, you know, salami and things like that in-house as opposed to the cheese side of things. Yeah. But you teach classes, right, Sarah? Or did you used to on a cheese or someone? We at all have taught classes at certain points in time. Usually pairing related. Yeah. Um, like, you know, wine and cheese or beer and cheese or sometimes wine versus beer just to like really have some fun with it. You know, there are a lot of cheeses that are delicious to just nibble on. And then there are ones that are really, really amazing with the right beverage or the right food to pair it with. And that's kind of, I think, where 
we kind of bring the f- right. You have the <clears throat> local beers on tap and wines. Uh, right now we have eight taps, and they're all California producers. You know, all the wine and beer is California. For the beer, though, we did. You know, since we're coming into Berkeley, one of the things I thought was going to be really important was to build those local relationships and to have people like Gilman Brewing. Um, and Temescal and Fieldwork, for example. There are some really local breweries that are doing some really great stuff. So that was kind of a, a key component in having a, a good, you know, what I felt to be really legit and, you know, paying attention to what's happening in Berkeley style. You know, and and you walk inside and there's a lot of local art. There's local a beautiful slash family produced. <laughs> yeah, art. There's a, a beautiful quilt on the wall. Yeah, or that mural. was Oliver's mom's oh, okay. um, masterpiece. And Oliver's a third partner, mm-hmm. your husband. Yes. And so was that your focus, too, to get everything local that, you know, the chairs, the table, I mean, everything? We, I mean, we really try. I mean, when you're designing a space, you notice it, like trends and sort of interior design pass through. And so at a certain point, you're like, okay, we need to, like, inject our own little flair and soul, you know, into a space. And we did that with Mission Cheese. I think we did, we tried really hard to do that. And Maker's Common, it's a bigger space, but yeah, adding the mural, which tells the story of fermentation of beer, wine, cheese, and also the geography of the Bay Area and how it relates to Berkeley. Um, and that was actually painted by Oliver's cousin, Lori Damiano. It's really um, beautiful. Yeah, it was really fun. It was a great project. And then the quilt and by Oliver's mom and the chairs are produced by the same gentleman that produced the stool, or the stools are produced by the same gentleman that produced the stools at Mission Cheese. And the lights come from Jared's Pottery in Richmond. And so I think it, it makes the difference, like those little touches of like, community and yeah, definitely. Sort of bringing a spirit to a space. Even, you know, like the bar uh, and whatnot, our contractor who's here in Berkeley, they had done a teardown years ago and they had all this dug fur that they had been sitting on for a long time and kind of came up in conversation and that became our... Was our, it old dug fur? Yeah, yeah, quite old. It's really beautiful wood. We, we have found out that it's Very. quite soft, though. Yeah, it, is. it takes some dings, and those those first couple of dings are like, oh, God. But now it's like, oh, it's character. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Apple effect. Yeah. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Method to the Madness, a KALX public affairs show featuring Bay Area innovators. Today I'm speaking with two of the three founders of a new restaurant and market in Berkeley called Maker's Common, Sarah Dvorak and Eric Miller. So your name, Maker's Common, I'm curious about that. Because, you know, the Maker's Movement. Was there some connection to that? Or why did you call it that? That was kind of unintentional, and we did talk a little bit about that, but it was really, you know, kind of deprioritizing in a way ourselves and, like, trying to really focus on the actual makers, the cheese makers, the brewers, the winemakers, people that are making amazing charcuterie across the country, and then, you know, a little bit ourselves as well, like what we're making and and utilizing our kitchen and our skills to to feed people. So not being a really chef-driven restaurant where that's, you know, like, you know the name of the chef and that's what sort of drives the business in a way and, and gets people through the door this is kind of flipping that script a little bit and it's knowing our producers really well and being able to tell those stories so it's about more about those makers yeah mission cheese was really hyper focused on the cheese and i think the name makers common opened it up a bit and instead of being about the product being about the people making the product and also the commons part comes in as that just like a space for the community to come together and ideally we really want the makers to feel welcome there and happy there in a space that they can well, come speaking of community the most interesting thing to me about your whole thing is that you have created a space that was invested in by the community 
you call your 165 or so investors co-founders? Founders, yes. The idea of bringing community in together with your restaurant. Yeah. You didn't do that with your first restaurant. Mission Cheese was all all scrappy. Friends and family. Did you just not want to do that again? I mean, I think to a certain point you feel like you want to like... Stop leaning on um, your super tight community and open it up to a broader a broader space. And I think, you know, while having your family invested in your business, it's also pretty intense. And not to say that our family isn't invested <laughs> in this current business, but yeah, we wanted to do something else. And I think wanted to do something that felt more aligned with the good food movement and the direct public offering really felt like it was good, friendly way to get money and interact with the community, which sort of marries a good food movement where getting money from a bank and like signing your life away and just that process didn't feel like it really matched. So I don't know, we were all really excited about the idea of raising money from the community and not just accredited investors, but unaccredited investors. So anyone could invest. The minimum was a thousand dollars. Um, our average, I think, at the end was somewhere around 3500 I believe it was, 100 in, and, it was 165 or 166 investors. Okay. And, and, and you I, met your goal? Not exactly. We didn't exactly meet the goal, <laughs> no, but sure. in a sense, from a feeling perspective, just to throw that in there, yes, because it was people got more excited about it than we had anticipated, I think, overall. In the beginning, though, what I think slowed us down was there's a lot of education around what a direct public offering is before you can even really talk about the offering itself. First, you have to like explain what a DPO is, and then we can get to here's what we're trying to do. And so I think that kind of cost us a little bit of time Seems in the Seems like people are knowing about this now, though. It Berkeley is. Side Definitely. was on here recently, and he talked about their direct public offering, mm-hmm. and yeah. people are thinking about the importance of community. And- yeah, it's just a different way to sort of deal with your finances, and, you know, you have, you know, we know we have 165 or 166 customers out of the gate, essentially. Are there downsides or challenges of doing it this way of bringing in local investors. It took a lot of time. Yeah, it's it's definitely it's a lot of, you know, individual touches as opposed to, you know, just getting a big check from a bank or something like that. So, you figure if we have 166 investors, that's 160 minimum of 166 conversations because So it's a lot of time and Yeah. yeah. And again, like that educational aspect of it out of the gate, you know, there were a few people that knew what it was beforehand, but mostly it was going through the whole process yeah. of of that education and did you have conferences with uh, groups or did you do one-on-one there was some one-on-one but what we tried to do is we at, at mission cheese we were hosting happy hours there weekly bi-weekly where we would invite people in tell your friends bring your friends anyone who might be interested and we do you know we'd go through like a little slide deck but have some wine have some cheese nice sort of casual sort of situation where you know there's no hard sell in it you know it's just sort of proof of concept mission cheese and how successful that's been and trying to go for this you know, other business from there. It must feel pretty good to know that local people want this business here. Oh, right? yeah, absolutely. You know, I you think... know, if they're invested in it, then they want you to stay alive. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and I think that's really the beauty of crowd investment um, mm-hmm. is that you, you have cheerleaders out of the gate and you have also people to bounce off ideas and come... Like we've had a lot of founders send us suggestions or just like, you know, useful information and critiques that, you know, we're using to like guide the business and make sure that we're the best we can be for our community because that's really what we're trying to do is be a gathering spot for people at Berkeley. Yeah, I think having that that group out of the gate that are are more comfortable coming directly to us with ideas and suggestions or even like some critiques here and there is great because it's it's sort of, it's a great little firewall and and communication path before you have people that you don't know at all that are just going straight to Yelp or something like that. We know our founders aren't going to Yelp to write a one-star review. (laughs) Or at least they shouldn't be. (laughs) They're probably going to talk to us first. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. Hopefully they talk. But you have right. to manage that. I mean, that that is a time consumer. For yeah. sure. Yeah. It hasn't been terrible. Oliver is really the person spearheading that, for sure. He's the person that's sending out the uh, interest checks and all that to our founders and is kind of the key point person for when there are communications and you know we kind of then take that information divide and conquer however we need to respond when you think about the old days you know before social media that's what people had to do anyway right i mean go out to their community and friends and make that kind of contact so it's kind of a swing back it is a throwback for sure it is because i mean the history of the direct public offering is that it came right after the uh you know, Great Depression when banks weren't lending anymore. Right. So this is a way for businesses to kind of get a, a, a little restart when there was no money being loaned out. Where do you <laughs> see yourself going in the next few years? What other new things do you want to do at that location? We're so in it right now. Oh, it's man. hard to think yeah, about. Yeah, it's, you know, it, one of the things that I do like to uh, fantasize about for sure is that on the charcuterie production side of things you know we're we're small and scrappy in there and and doing a i think we're doing a really nice job but to get to a place where wow we're so busy on that front that we need our own production facility for stuff like that and where would that be i don't know maybe berkeley as well you know <laughs> you, you already have some great people here you know with uh, Fermani mm-hmm. and you know paul bertoli so the west coast charcuterie give, hub give those guys a run for their money i don't know <laughs> yeah that's. No, but, I mean, <clears throat> there's always room for small production craft goods like that there's really beyond Fermani. there's not yeah there's not there's not too many but... super local you, you know there's there's some other people doing some really great stuff but you don't have too many production facilities no. you know, overall. Local Butcher makes sausages. But. Those yeah, guys are amazing. I love them. I love um, Local Butcher. Fantastic. Yeah, I think, you know, it, it's looking at stuff like that. Right now, it is just, you know, we're kind of a function of just making everything work right now. So being five years out is a little hard, but... That's definitely one of the things that I would like to see happen. For sure. Pushing the products that we do create inside of Makers Common outside of the space to be available to others and also grow that sort of interest in fermentation and old old foods and preservation. That's for sure. I think Mm. a goal for all of us. But first and foremost, we need to... Fill that space up and get nice and busy. And um, Well, you're very close to the campus. Yeah, we're close to the campus. We have an amazing assortment of wine and beer, and I think we're all really proud of it and just want to share those things as well as, like, all the other food mm-hmm. items on the menu and in the market and just really try to support these local small guys. I mean, a lot of the winemakers that we're supporting are making wine in the Bay Area, and so... Yeah, yeah I, I guess, you know, kind of... Grow those relationships. Expanding what Sarah's saying there, but for, like, more you know, short-term kind of goals is like, yeah, you know, getting that, those, filling out the space, getting some, getting more, more impact, more impact ha- turning it, you know, uh, into, you know, we were talking about that, that spot where it is that gathering place, you know, for downtown Berkeley. How do you do of, that? You know, we've been talking to Berkeley Rep and we've been talking to the Downtown Development Association and who Yeah, else? there's going to be a downtown Berkeley walking food tour. For like the nice. first time ever, and they're mm-hmm. really excited to feel like downtown Berkeley is in a spot to like offer that. There are a lot of alleyways now going north south from mm-hmm. near where your location is, mm-hmm. so you can cut across and go multiple streets and mm-hmm. venues, mm-hmm. and that's kind of happening. And we're going to have a parklet and some bike parking out front of yep. our space. Uh, that's all in the works, and so we're just really focused on the you know short term becoming like a community gathering place and adding really to the vibe that is downtown Berkeley and not, you know, like making it a place where people jump on BART and come here to eat. Or just walk. In addition to being the place, yeah, that, you know, 
there's an amazing neighborhood, you know, right to the west of us. And I hope we're a place that they're happy to walk to. I wanted to ask you what your biggest challenges have been, uh, not just at Maker's Common, <clears throat> but Mission Cheese as well. I think I think out of the gate for Maker's Common, at least, it was staffing. Um, for sure, you know, everyone's been talking about a shortage of line cooks and things like that in the Bay Area in general. And I think that w- that was probably the biggest hurdle for me out of the gate was that every time I was uh, able to get a little bit further away from the kitchen to do other things that were more front of house oriented or more cheese oriented, it's getting pulled back in because of some issues there, but starting to come back together, which is great. I think overall we have a good core front of house team at Maker's Common, you know, that they're all learning the wines and the beers and being able to better speak about cheese, which is really great to see, seeing like that excitement in people. But staffing out of the gate was definitely hard. You know, and I don't want to speak for Sarah, but you know, there's been just because Mission Cheese is a little smaller, you have like a really great tight team there. So there, when when someone leaves, it does have a bigger impact on that side because it's sort of like, you know, everyone's kind of a big fish there in a way. Yeah. In a, mm-hmm. in a little pond. You know, what we're doing and offering is really, there's a lot of knowledge involved in it. And I think we sort of took for granted the baseline of knowledge that we were so familiar with and comfortable with at Mission Cheese, where after six years of being in operation, that passion and that baseline of information is like sort of infused almost in the space because no one's leaving all at once. So like starting from a a clean slate and sort of building that knowledge of the of the products that we're carrying because they are really strange. Like if you come in and look at our cheese case, even as a cheese lover, you are probably going to not see many familiar faces in our Mm -hmm. cheese case because it is all domestic, pretty small production, like unique things. So even someone with a robust cheese knowledge has to learn those products specifically. So I think getting that baseline knowledge was a challenge in the beginning. And I think, I mean, the team is doing an amazing job getting up to speed. And then also, like Eric said, the staffing. I mean, everyone you talk to in the Bay Area, food, retail, I mean... It's a lot of turnover. It's hard. Well, it's hard to hire people because people can't afford to live here. It's not, it's not even wow. so much the turnover. It's that, you know, what you what you can afford to pay people. Because, you know, we want to do the best that we can for our employees at, at all costs, in a sense. Um, still doesn't necessarily amount to enough for you to have your, you know, studio or one-bedroom apartment by yourself, especially in San Francisco, for sure. But, you know, that, that same trend's moving out this way, too. Yeah. When I opened <clears throat> Mission Cheese, pretty much the entire staff, I... I always reference this because we had like a progressive cocktail party for our first holiday party because everyone lived within a stone's throw in the center of the city in the mission or very close by. And so that was just 2011. 2011. And now we don't have a single employee that lives in the mission. Yeah. Wow. They live either in the East Bay or at the beach or, yeah. I mean, further out. Yeah. Outer Sunset and, you know, Concord and yeah, exactly. San Jose. Crazy. I, I really want to know what you think should be done about this. <laughs> uh, that is a complicated question. I mean, I just... Because you're in the retail business. We're in What's it. I mean, we're answer? also a part of it. I mean, we part of also why we needed to, wanted to open another business is that we couldn't really afford to live in the Bay Area. I mean, Oliver and I lost our rent control apartment last year in San Francisco, and we had to move out. I mean, so no, you're in the East Bay now? No, we're in the North Bay, funny <laughs> enough. And it's not. it wasn't all that intentional. It was just an opportunity for a reasonably priced house came up. And so that's where we are. Yeah, it's a challenge, I think, for everybody, including ourselves. And so I don't, I don't know that there is a solution that I can think of. I mean, there are, there are some onerous, like, taxes and things that the city makes you pay. And you're just like, really? Small food business? Should I still be paying on the tenant improvements of the space and the mission six and a half years in? 
my tenant improvements, which I like, which is like includes my refrigeration, is still worth like eighty seven thousand dollars. I'm like, no, that refrigeration is almost dead. In fact, I'm replacing many of them. So, well, I guess just um, the closures are going to be the message if they can't make it. Yeah, I think part of the struggle in the Bay Area, and I mean, I could be totally wrong. This is just my hypothesis: is there there are a lot of tech companies that are offering food. They're offering breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and people aren't leaving their building. And I know that you feel that in the city, and people are also ordering food online. I mean, definitely, like, grocers and, like, people doing the same things that we're doing are feeling that, you know. And it's unfortunate because I want there to be more of a push from these companies to go out and spend the money that they're making in the Bay Area to support local communities. And I know some businesses do that. I know Salesforce highly encourages people to get out of the building and things like companies like that. But I wish that would become more of a trend. The the food industry has lost a lot of line cooks. You know, we've, we've been reading a lot about that where a lot of the larger companies where they have really well outfitted kitchens inside their offices you know, where you can be a chef and be more nine to five and not have the long hours that a lot of restaurants do from, you know, open to close and clean up, you know, pretty cushy. But that just means that those people don't go outside. You know, they just sort of stay there. They eat there. You know, and the only thing missing are is just some some cots for everyone. I mean, I think I think people will eventually realize that they want places in their community to hang out and they'll do that. And I think we're just in a point of this the technology swing right now where. It's difficult, and I think a lot of businesses, even in the mission, felt it last year mm-hmm. and probably will continue to feel it as people interact more with food and technology and get it delivered to their house versus going out. For me, when I really started getting into food, it was with like a, a good group of people that uh, were my local community when I was living in New York City still uh, before moving out to the West Coast, and all of our get-togethers revolved around food and cooking and everyone getting together and I feel like this is just sort of a continuation of that and you know you go to a friend's house and someone's doing dinner and everyone always inevitably ends up in the kitchen for some reason or other and though that doesn't happen at Maker's Common because it's a restaurant we can't actually do that um, it's being able to feed people and and you know provide that experience in, in a way that's no different than you know hanging out with your friends and giving them information if they need it. And giving them the about information. About what they're eating. Exactly. You know, and maybe, you know, introducing some new things that you never had before, especially in the cheese front. There's so many cheeses that we represent, and that's such an amazing community unto itself. And to be able to fold that into, like, my community, to the Berkeley community, and, you know, the wine and the beer and, and the charcuterie, and, and to just be proud of that and to be humbled, too, by the, the support that we've received from our founders and you know all of that just comes together and it, it can't be more about community than that. Food has been a big part of my life growing up like my family always sat around the table and enjoyed Where are you from meals. originally? I'm originally from Wisconsin so the cheese really is in my veins but yeah you know we had long family dinners around the table and it's always been such a big part of my life and I feel like that community aspect and what coming around a table of like home-cooked food does is just so irreplaceable in like my daily life and I hope it is I want it to be in everyone's life certainly my son's life and you know the conversations that happen and how we talk to each other as humans and like understand like how each other feels and you know what challenges and things that people are going through and I really feel like food has an amazing way to connect people you know in 
a way that very little else does, you know. And for me, the connection really to food came moving to the Bay Area and really understanding what a great tomato tasted like and what <laughs> a fuzzy peach coming off the vine, you know, like what that felt like, you know, and just that close connection to food. And we spend so much time and attention on so many things in our life, but like everything that we're putting into our body can sometimes be forgotten. Mission Cheese was an effort to really showcase the cheesemakers and make consumers or connect consumers so that next time they go to the grocery, they might be asking about Sophia or Fat Bottom Girl or Dumbarton Blue so that our local cheesemakers can grow and scale and stay around, you know. And, you know, in the last few years, we have seen some fall off and it's sort of scary because I do feel like the good food movement was on such a tear. And I think it's been there's so much happening right now that it's sort of hard to stay focused on it. And I do really think that having a robust agricultural system that feeds us is so important. I think Mission Cheese has become a remarkable gathering place and a place to tell stories and to introduce people to new and interesting things that are off the beaten path so that our food system stays diverse and fun and engaging. And I hope Maker's Common is an extension of that. If some of our listeners want to reach you guys or do you have a website, tell us how to get in touch. Yeah, uh, makerscommon.net for the website. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram, just Maker's Common, uh, Twitter as well. So or you could just things. walk down to 1954 University yeah, Avenue. Yeah, 1954. Exactly. See you there. <clears throat> exactly. Between Milvia and MLK. Come in and enjoy. We, we want guests building that community and get people in the door. What is actually in Velveeta? <laughs> That's a great question. I mean, it's, Does anyone really know? It's processed cheese food. I'm sure it's a lot knows. of vegetable oil. Yeah. Or just uh, processed. Processed cheese, cheese food, food is what it generally says on the label. Yeah for things like that. Mission cheese, like that was our goal is to like get rid of the stigma that comes along with that word, which is like, I mean, it means craft singles, right? I mean, what a great idea to change that perception. You know, and I always, I, I always kind of stutter a little bit when I go to say like, oh, you know, American, oh, do I really want to say American cheese? Like you always have to throw craft in the middle or something like American craft cheese, but leaving, not with the K. <laughs> you know? I started leaving craft out. I just say American cheese. I think it's American cheesemakers are the most amazing <clears throat> people too. I mean, that is really why I handmade American cheese. Yeah, because <laughs> they are the most collaborative, amazing, genuine, beautiful group of people that you'd ever meet. I want to thank you both for being on the program. Thanks for Eric having us. and Sarah. Yeah. You've been listening to Method to the Madness, a public affairs show on KALX Berkeley celebrating Bay Area innovators. You can find all of our podcasts on iTunes University. We'll see you next time.